The Umbrella Academy, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and The Rise of Industry. This is Staying In. I'm eating these. Cheddar cheese. Uh, okay. fill, filled. Uh. Nerds. Pretzel oh. sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, they sound disgusting. They, well, I mean, they aren't... Bit of AMSR there for you. Ooh, yep. look at that. Two pretzels. It looks like a really bad Oreo. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like a savoury Oreo. <laughs> do, do you split them and lick them? Oh, I could, couldn't I? Go on, give that a try. Go on, hold on. There's some live live tasting hold on. for you. Oh, no, you can't split them. All right, go and get a knife. <laughs> it's like an atom. That's worrying. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that sounds like a, a tasty... Um, Snack. I made myself um, white chocolate and hazelnut matcha brownies yeah. this afternoon. What? How? How? What do you mean? What do you mean? How? How are you so? How are you so talented at cooking? How do you? How does one? Okay. How does one get to this? <laughs> well, first off, you're assuming that they taste good oh. or in some way ah. an edible. It doesn't take talent to say that you've made something. Or I suppose, yeah. Put together a collection. Oh, this evening I cooked a uh, broccoli and carrot yep. soup with roasted... That sounds good already. ...bananas. So clearly desserts is more Sam's forte. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like You can say that you cooked anything, but to say that yeah. there's any talent behind it is only evidenced in the actual eating. Yeah, I suppose the first little piggy could say, well, I made my house out of straw. <laughs> uh, yeah. So do they turn out all right? I, I don't know. I've not, I've not tried them yet. <laughs> oh, I, goodness, had some, so. I had some um, gold. This is, where, where so this, so this episode's a two-parter. This is such a tease. <laughs> no, it's because I had some... Um, Lisa's mum bought back some white Oreos, golden Oreos. What? Um, from from Spain for, for from Lisa's Hendu right she brought back some golden Oreo so I've, I've been finishing those off before I eat my brownies oh very nice what's golden what flavour's gold Sam oh, well instead of um, the uh, darker chocolate on the outside it's golden chocolate They're basically custard creams alright oh, it's not like golden Graham's no I suppose I suppose if you think <laughs> about cinnamon. it the custard cream really is the British Oreo uh, well there's a bourbon Bourbon. There's there's, there's the bourbon bourbon as well. Yeah. And you sort of think, I got very excited when Oreos came over. I was like, we've never had anything like this. Oh, wow. Two little biscuits with some cream stuff in the middle. We've never had it. You made it sound as if like you were waiting at the port while the ship I, was docking. I was. It was like when we got Krispy Kreme in. It's when my, my uh, hometown got a Burger King. There was very, it was very exciting. Front, front page news. I think that's all to do with PR, really, because... Custard cream doesn't really sell itself. No. Whereas an Oreo... Oh, what's that? What could an yeah. Oreo be? Exactly. Bourbon, is it? Is it a whiskey? Is it a drink? Is it a French royal family? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is it... it no, it's a, it's a sandwich-type biscuit. All mm. right, okay. But that's no. kind of the way the British do things. We just name things... Mm. It's the Ronsel um, approach. Yeah. Exactly. Well, not really, because a bourbon isn't really what it is on the tin. No. Nor is a custard cream. Yeah. Nor does it come in a tin, generally. <laughs> well, well observed. I don't think we're very good at naming things in general. 
Except for Boaty McBoatface. Well, we did, okay, but we did that, but then we didn't do that, right? Like, we were like, here's a great idea. Hey, listen up, lads. We've got this great idea for a boat, Boaty McBoatface. And then, I guess, I'm assuming the government said, no, you're not, you're not calling it that. And to be fair, the man. To, to, be fair to the man, um, like, it's probably a good idea. Like, it's probably good a uh, good idea not to call it that. Some might say that after that, the British people shouldn't have been trusted with a public vote. Satire. Sam, Sam Satire Turner. This is, this is, that is but, poor. But also, <laughs> like, also, a lot of the ships in Star Trek are named after, like, old, you know, traditional on-the-water ships. So there would be, like, the starship Boaty McBoatface. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after all that, I kind of feel like we're on Have I Got News For You? Oh, really? Should we do some more yeah. um, satire? Can you give us a blank headline, Sam? You know, remove some words out. Okay, let's. I'll, yeah. I'll go and get some. Uh, go on. All right. Uh, right, I'm going to take some of these from um, one of my favourite Twitter accounts, at Crap Local News. Okay, yep, here we go. Okay, here we go. So, okay, man store woman's pants for blank... Um, uh, love, <laughs> shelter, shelter, shelter. Uh, uh, no, it's man stole woman's pants for seventeen years. How? That's very slow. <laughs> no, I don't think it took him seventeen years. It wasn't to like see one it. of those films where you know he's been seventeen years of planning a heist. Oh, I was. Oh, okay. So it's not like a caper. It's just a pervert. Okay. Okay, here's another one. Greg's forced to apologize for replacing baby Jesus with blank. <laughs> um uh ooh. What what could you what could you replace baby Jesus with? Um the cl- there's a clue in the headline. With blank. With sausage. Chris. Baby bell. <laughs> baby bell oh that's really nice the three kings come to visit baby bell oh. uh no it was a it was a sausage roll oh i nearly said sausage roll Ah, oh, well at least they put the roll bit around it you know that's not so gauche go on then last one last one make it a good one okay this is from the hackney gazette woman eats blank is that Oh, uh, it's not baby Jesus. <laughs> no, but that would be hence, very hence good. the quick substitution at Greg. <laughs> Woman eats blank scouring pad. <laughs> what? No. It's gonna be something. It's gonna be something. It's inedible. It's got to be. Well, clearly not. It was woman eats mouldy beans. Oh. Ah, it's it. Ah, 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 I just. Ah, 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 sorry. Is that, ah, I don't. What's what's happening? This is sorry. This is the um. Is my new earworm that every right at the moment I'm playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Right. I'm about twelve, thirteen hours in. Okay. But. Every time you press pause, <laughs> every single time. It's like that though. It's like that though in Greece, Sam. 
when you go. The moment anyone stops speaking. <laughs> you know, Ubisoft really are good at the authenticity thing, aren't they? That's it's um, incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I, okay, I played every Assassin's Creed, or like almost, almost every single one, all the console ones. Done. Spin-offs, done. Most of the portables, done. I even played the NAF free-to-play card battler that they had at one point and got pretty far with that. And I, <laughs> and I, at the end of Origin, I was like, I've had enough. I, I, yeah. I, just, I just could not be bothered anymore. It was too long. It was boring, dreary. Uh, I, 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 yeah, like, I love, I love the characters. I like some of the storytelling that they were doing, but it was 35 hours of drudgery. And Assassin's Creed Odyssey is apparently meant to be the good one. It, well... I, I'm completely the opposite. So the last Assassin's Creed game I played um, was uh, Revelations. Yes, yeah, that's the last one I played. End of Ezio's trilogy. So, so 2011, so almost 10 years Ooh. since um, I played an Assassin's Creed game. And I and the and the other day I just got hankering for those kind of mechanics. So I'd finished Spider-Man and absolutely loved that one. And thanks very much to Sony for my uh, exclusive platinum avatar, which I got for getting the platinum in Spider-Man. Um, but um, I just had a hankering for those, um, that sort of Assassin's Creed um, style of play, you know, just like sneaking around, uh, doing the stealth and a little bit of RPG and a little bit of exploration and, yeah. you know, living being a, a character in this living breathing world because spider-man does that but i kind of just wanted to wanted it to be a bit grander and wanted it yeah. to be a bit more Sprawl. grounded yeah sure yeah. so um i decided to play freedom cry um but that is a game based on assassin's creed's threes engine which uh, for some reason, is getting remade and is coming out on the Switch. I and yeah, what Assassin's Creed Three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the I uh, can, can we just just to, just just for two seconds? I think that's the worst decision they've ever made. Like, yeah, it's such a bad game. It mm-hmm. it's hateful that third game. Like, yeah, and they're putting the time into remaking it. Like, I know. It's it's really weird. Um, so oh. I don't know what the decision is behind that, but Freedom Cry yeah. is feels outdated. It feels old. It doesn't play very well and has some dodgy politics that I really wasn't okay. into. And it was well, like, trying to deal with the slave trade, and okay. I don't think it was handling it really well. Like you could only progress the story in parts of Freedom Cry if you if you'd freed a certain amount of slaves yeah and which, which is a noble endeavor yeah but when you're kind of treating people who were under slavery as just numbers a number. just like right i feed i've i freed 50 of you also, i'm not going to free any more because i've now moved on to the next part of the story also have you noticed Bye. how like have you noticed how in this in, and this is the same in all the assassins creed games but have you noticed how like you free the captor whoever the captor might be and they're like, yeah. thank you so much for saving me. And then they rush off and get murdered by like a Roman guard. Or mm-hmm. they, they're like, now my life is fine. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like... I, don't, I, don't I literally watched Sam do that when I was around his house watching him play it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my fault for not clearing out the bandit camp efficiently before releasing 
um, a prisoner. So I I did my research mm-hmm. and um, decided to pick up Assassin's Creed uh, Odyssey, and I'm so glad I did because it's my favourite um, Assassin's Creed oh, game, and quickly becoming one of my um, favourite open world games. Oh. And because it streamlines um, most of the major problems with that I've ever had with an Assassin's Creed game. But along with that, as a companion, it gives more depth and insight into stuff that I think makes Assassin's Creed um, interesting mm. as, as as a game. So, first of all, mm. I've always found... Assassin's Creed games quite claustrophobic. Um, the ones I played, anyway, which I know sounds slightly counterintuitive, considering you come to the top of towers and look out on massive cityscapes. Yeah, but it's a fact that they're all set in cities. I've also, I've, I've oh. always found the most claustrophobic. Okay, because so Assassin's Creed Two is probably the one that I, I spent the most time playing. Yeah, um, and in there you you'd be exploring the city. You get yourself into a situation that you had to try and get out of quickly, but it was difficult because all the buildings... The buildings, to me, always felt like they were on top of me. So I always felt that the world is claustrophobic. In Odyssey, completely gone. You, it's, hmm. You're in the whole of Greece. You've got the whole of Greece <laughs> yeah. to explore. Yeah. You, spend, you spend the first six... It Basically... It takes you about six hours until you see the main title card, which is something they've lifted directly from The Witcher right. uh, 3, because basically it's about six hours until you leave the first island, which is Kefalonia. That's where you start. Mm-hmm. So that's where my parents go on holiday. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I've always wanted to go to Kefalonia, um, so it's been great to explore it. And what that does is that gives you five to six hours of getting a taste of everything that the game has in store for you. So the typical like raiding bandit camps, doing side quests, going exploring, you know, doing all those things that a Ubisoft open world game has in it. Mm. Um, But the interesting thing with spending that time on Kefalonia is you, you very quickly pick up that Assassin's Creed Odyssey is doing things just in a slightly different way. They've tweaked one little part of of how the quest and the mission structure works mm. to make it a lot more of an involved and interesting experience. And that is that they've developed two different modes. It's like an explorer's mode and an assist mode. And what that changes is on the assist mode, or whatever it's called, when someone gives you a main quest... They will tell you about it, and then they put the marker on your map. Right. On exploration mode, they'll tell you about it. They describe whereabouts on the island or in Greece that mission is, but you never get the marker on your map. Okay. Which, for me, that's the one thing that I look for now in every open world game that I play. It's It's what I wanted out of Horizon. Because when I played Horizon Zero Dawn, I pretty much tried to turn off as much of the compass as I could as possible because I want to feel like someone in this world rather than someone going from one mission marker to another. Right. 
So when you're spending that first five or six hours on the island of Kefalonia getting to know the game, you get to know Kefalonia really, really well because your missions are... Oh, yeah, you have to go and raid that bandit camp. It's on the south of the island next to the statue of Zeus and the old temple. I think it's somewhere around there. So you have to naturally go and explore. And for me... That's one of the things in generally about open world games and generally about Assassin's Creed games that I've never felt really connected to is just I'm just going from one position to another, just checking off mm. tags that have been put on the map for me. Mm. So immediately I feel a lot more connected and involved with the world, which which is a massive change to um Assassin's Creed games that I've that I've played before. Okay. Um so the next thing it does is it completely changes the, um, I guess you maybe call it like the wanted system. So you know how in previous Assassin's Creed games, when you commit like a misdemeanor in the city yeah. or something like this, which is another thing that made me feel really claustrophobic in those cities, like the whole of the city would just turn on you and you'd have to run and get away and get out of the city and wait for everything to calm down. And then in the case of Assassin's Creed 2, you have to go back in, rip down all the posters of yourself and like bring all like the reputation back up and all that kind of stuff just to get things done in, you know, in the location. Yeah. Really frustrating, hampered the gameplay and the movement and the, and the feel, of, feel of the game for me. So instead, they have this um, this bounty system. So if you go into a city and start like stealing stuff or killing people in the city, doing stuff that you're not meant to be doing, instead of hundreds and hundreds of guys piling on top of you, you get a bounty on your head. And basically, that but depending on how big your bounty, as in like how much bad stuff you've done, mm. the harder the bounty hunter that comes after you is. Now you can either pay off this bounty hunter, or you can fight them and kill them or you can just avoid them. So I love that idea of like constantly being stalked yeah. and like someone constantly coming down for you rather than just tons of people just running onto you, having to run out of the city, run back in, get the reputation up and then carry on with the game. It feels like they really... It's much more thematic, isn't it? Much more that the assassins or, you know, this this group of people are wanted. Like they're not... Yeah. They're not the good guys in this in this yeah. society yeah oh. and like the combat is a lot more streamlined and makes and makes sense and it's just it's just a wonderful world to be a part of and i absolutely love it and i and i've and because there's not this ma- at the moment and because at the moment there's not this massive grandeur of story yeah hanging over cassandra as a character and i'm just let off the reins just go and be a mercenary and go and forge my path and in the middle of the um um the war between the spartans and the athenians i just i just I'd, i'm just able to like be quite relaxed in this open world yeah. and and that's a feeling that i've not had especially from a ubisoft because me and chris are playing far cry 5 at the moment and that's got a big statue in it it does, but it's one of the most it's one of the most least relaxing places to be in. Not only because you're hunted twenty four seven constantly, but also because you turn a corner. There's also and like me and Chris are just trying to do missions, but it's like oh oh well, well right we just passed this, well, we might as well just do this. Or we're going off the way to do this, and we set a marker to there, but we'll see if there's something interesting along the way. Like so compressed, all, it's everything feels a lot more compressed. Whereas in Odyssey, it just feels like. 
this wonderful mm. um, world. And I think it is all down to those things that I mentioned, like how bounties work. I don't feel pursued all the time. How the exploration works, like you get to actually know a place based on its geography rather than a line which tells you yeah. where to go. And the act- And the character work, like being a mercenary just helps to be just create this wonderful little place to be in i absolutely love it and it's except for the (laughs) i've added it back onto my wish list (laughs) you're always gonna play it i know always sam i'll lend i'll lend you uh mythos once we finish rereading it yes please thank you please i'd love to oh my god it's that time you of know the, what that means oh it's that time of the episode where uh, can you imagine if we were a podcast that were actually like that like there are some <laughs> that are like there are like hey guys now we're moving on to this section of the show and it's just like alright calm down um you, you're doing you're doing this you're doing this in your pants um uh charity miles charity miles miles of smiles oh oh it's the charity miles update um and um, the update is it's good. We're doing well. Everything's going. Everything's going according to plan. Uh, the, the the distance that we're trying to get to at the moment, I think, the next big goal is 500 miles. So we've got 24 people who have joined us. Wow, 24. that's incredible. Uh, we've we've got four, 14 of those people have logged miles, which is pretty exciting. Um, so we've got 10 people who are like, oh, I've, I've joined. I've not logged any miles yet. I'm just thinking about it. Um, taking it easy. Take it, taking it easy. And you know what? Take it easy. Um, we've got 436 miles. So next big thing is going to be 500 miles. And I'm going to be like, yes. Um, we've got 436 miles walked, which I think, uh, or run, or cycled, or whatever it is you want to do with it, really. Um, which I think is amazing. Um, and um, yeah, I'm stoked, basically. It's going, it's going great, isn't it? I, I, I love it. Here's the thing, right? Here's my thing. What I find most exciting about it, and this is this is genuinely true, is I go on it every day and I look at the list of people who have who have because you only you, we only see people's names if they've put any miles in, right? Yeah. And I see and I see I see I see Dan I see me I see you Chris I see you Sam I see and I'm like good it's familiar familiar faces. Right? <laughs> But then, at least we're all doing something. But we're all doing something, thank goodness. But then I see other names on there. Some of them I recognise, but some of them I don't. Like people who mm. we've never met before, and I love it because I genuinely—I tweeted this the other day—I genuinely can't believe that we've got fourteen people listening. Let alone like <laughs> it's double figures. I was just insane. I impressed. know, I know. Let let alone like bothered enough to put some miles in. So we've got pals like. Uh, Mike Dore, we got Nicholas. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Nicholas. Brittany Harbage, been absolutely putting the miles in. Uh, uh, we've got someone called Quarth, Nick Hughes, Alex Briscom, whoever that is, uh, Catherine Hopkins, Graham Burrows, Neil Bailey, Lisa Mart. Um, I'm just. It's brilliant. I'm just, honestly, like some of those names I recognise, some of the names I don't recognise, and I'm just like, I can't believe that. These people are awesome enough to like actually put the time in and do this thing. It's amazing. Yeah, 
Are you are you saying, Pete, that us four can just sit back now? Yeah, basically. Just, <laughs> yeah. So how much do we know? How much we've raised so far? Yes. Um, so we got roughly, as of recording, we got raised about one hundred and five dollars so far. Right. That's really good. Isn't that good for basically just going outside? I I just do my commute. I just I'm like I leave the front door and I'm like, charity miles. Mine's just dog walks. Yeah, dog walks. Pretty much. And all yeah. and and all I'm doing is walking. All I'm doing is walking to work and walking back again. And I'm just raising some money for some for some you know, for some good causes. So yeah. So if you if you want to join and you do, don't don't feel like you have to like be you know like Chris running the equivalent. Yeah. The Shire to Mordor. No, it's not about that. It's a <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's, I just once a week. You know, you don't have to do it like yeah. every day. Yeah. You? It's, it's not like, once a week. It's like if 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 like if you're the tortoise more than you are more than someone is the hare, that's fine. Yeah. I'm the tortoise. I'm only doing 0.9 miles there, 0.9 miles back. But you know what? It's tallying up. Uh, so yeah, it's good, and it's just one of those things where you do like a couple of buttons and you go bip bip bip. It's great. Um, so yeah, I'm. Do you know what? I just, I think this is one of the best things we've ever done. Yeah, it feels it feels, it feels like we're doing good things. It, it feels like we are. Once. Yeah, I never thought of our podcast ever being philanthropic, but I never thought about our podcast being good. What What's the thing you've regretted most eating when you've been drunk? Because you know, often when you're drunk, you let your guard down in terms of your diet. I know. Like I, I knew of somebody who was vegetarian for about six years, and he. <laughs> And he ruined it all by just having a kebab. <laughs> well, mine is on my 21st birthday. No, 20th birthday. I was going out and um, finishing the night. And I always tend to finish the night with chips, kebab meat and garlic mayo. Yeah, good work. Standard. Yeah, Holy standard. Trinity. Yeah. But one night I went into the kebab shop. I slapped down a fiver and I went... Give me all the kebab meat and chips you can. <laughs> he instantly flips the sign. <laughs> I was taken through to a little private VIP area. <laughs> yeah, this way, sir. Cle- clearly, you are a man of class. And, there, and there's like there's like a there's like um, a painting, a tapestry on the wall that looks exactly like Sam. <laughs> yeah, like the Last Supper. Yeah, with, a, uh, with me in the middle, with the ke- <laughs> holding out kebab meat to the people of Aberystwyth. Five pounds worth of kebab meat. <laughs> oh my gosh! So how much? How much is the question? I mean, not including inflation in this, but how much kebab meat did you get? I, I imagine more than you could eat. I think no, I ate it all. So I think a kebab meat and chips was probably about something like three pounds fifty. So I wasn't getting much more, but no. I think. Just my attitude, the confidence of strolling in there yeah. meant I got about a double portion. Yeah, I imagine yeah. I imagine it's the same sort of thing when like high-powered business execs go into like very big boardroom meetings. Like that yeah. level of power that you have. I want 10%! Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, he's serious. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Do we, do we need to warn the listener beforehand that this is going to be... You, you, you said that this is the geekiest thing you've ever talked about. So. Yeah, this is this is, this is is the geekiest game I think I've... I'm pretty sure it's one of the geekiest games I've ever played. Probably the geekiest. Yeah. Felt like a second job. Wow, that it was, much. It was pretty good. So, like, you know you guys were talking last time about things that are... um Like, that we didn't quite understand, like, Football Manager, right? Like, because it feels like, like, where's the game there and like spreadsheets and like, it just feels like a bit of a job. 
rather than like something else. Well, and I was like, yeah, yeah, nodding along, like, yeah, 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 let, yeah, put the boot into football manager. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's kind of it's that thing that's put me off owning, um, like getting Stardew Valley on the Switch. Right. Okay. Because I've heard like a massive criticism of it that at the end of the day, it's just another job. It's just another thing to tend to. Yeah, I think like every day. I think that's fair. Um, um, this this I mean this really is role playing a job. Um, uh, so I've, I've been playing a game called Rise of Industry. Okay, okay. so are you like just an industry bigwig, and you're wandering around a town going, "Here's my twenty percent. Bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, Give me all sell. the kebab meat." <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you run this company and you set yourself up and you think, okay, well, what am I going to? What businesses am I going to go into? Right. So you might think to yourself, okay, what I want to do is I want to get into, uh, I want to be a food, I want to be in the food industry, right? So you set up the, 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 the pipeline that is, you need raw materials, right? So if you're in food, you probably need water, right? So then you, you set up a pumping uh, station and then you set up the roads that you need uh, to transport it to a warehouse, and then the where and then you tra- set up the farm where you're going to grow all the crops, right? How is this any different from City Skylines or Project High Rise? Oh, we'll go into that. We'll go into that. It sounds so, very granular. So yeah, exactly. It's kind of like the simulation for my simulation game. Yeah, it's it's it, granular is the exact right phrase actually because basically you. So you've set that those things up. You've now got your farm, and you now need to go into your. You need to actually fig, set up the 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 distribution channel between the pump, the warehouse, the farm, and then the farm begins producing something. Right. So you'll choose to start growing. Um, well, what did I start growing? Okay, so like grapes. Um, so you start growing uh, grapes on the orchard that you have. So you have to research. You've got a massive tech tree, and you start saying, "Okay, I'm, I'm, I want to research grapes." Okay, so you start doing that, and then um, those become available, and you start growing these these grapes. And at that point, you can then distribute using your trucks. You can distribute them to the local town, the local city, to states, to wherever it is that you want to distribute them to, and you will get a certain price. And you have to check every single one of the towns and the cities and get the best possible price. And these prices obviously fluctuate because there's a marketplace and the marketplace is constantly in fluctuation. Sometimes people want grapes more, some people want grapes less. Um, So you start selling these grapes and that's okay for a little bit, but then towns become more developed. They get sick of of grapes. They get sick of grapes after a while, but what, what they might want after that is wine. So now you have to create a factory and obviously the road to get to that. And you also add on the pipeline to take the grapes back to the where- to a warehouse or directly to the factory. And if you have too many grapes at the factory, the trucks are just like, well, we don't know what to, to do with these. So we're just going to let them stock up somewhere, stock up, stock up, stock up. And you're just losing money because, of course, you're not doing anything with those grapes. So then you're produce. So anyway, you saw all that out, and you're producing wine. Now you're producing wine. You have to figure out, okay, how can I distribute this? And the actual materials side of things—that's the the very basic flow of everything. Now I just described grapes to wine. There are currently, and this game is in early access. There are currently four. I think it's four tiers of a product from uh, like a 
base raw material like uh, like a, a base level one thing to from like grapes all the way up to uh, I don't know level four something else. I have no idea what that would be, but I think wine is like level two, right? So every, everything I just described, everything you have to set up, that's level one to level two. So, so Pete, sorry, how does this look like on a screen? Because I'm trying to picture it. This looks like. Um, a massive spreadsheet. I'm just saying, is it like looking at like you know something you'd see in like the stock exchange? Just no, it looks like so. It is. It's really, really beautiful. Low poly art style, um, uh, sort of isometric-ish looking. Uh, I guess. I guess the, the the official term is. I think it's axonometric. I think that's technically the the. the yeah, it's at an angle. It looks like SimCity 2000, but low poly. Like, it's a skew. Yeah, it's a skew on the screen. <laughs> I think that's the official term, a skew. So you're looking at that, and there are there are absolutely spreadsheets if you want to go and look at them. So I can click on the budget button, and I can go and look at my budget across all time, last year, last six months, last month. Like I can see all of that sort of stuff, and I can see money coming in, money going out. So all of this is going on. All of this is going on. Um, and you're building into this tech tree and it's constantly going on you're constantly figuring out have i got enough money coming in you're constantly balancing those things you're figuring out the infrastructure the network and if you remove one cog right so i did this twice and it was really bad if you remove if you say okay i've got this warehouse and just temporarily i just want to very quickly i've got too much water building up at the pump it's just not going anywhere, so I'm just going to ship it to my warehouse, and then I'm going to ship it off to to state. I'm just going to very quickly do that. You drop one thing out, and you, if you forget about it, suddenly somewhere else another <laughs> rise is going up, and suddenly now, now I've got I've got I've got too many um you know I've got too many apples. Now the apples are going up, and I'm like, oh Christ! I, I thought you were doing grapes. So I yeah, did. Gra- yeah, but is this I- Peter Grid? Uh, can you call you wine Peter Grigio? Yeah, <laughs> but I, I expanded from grapes into yeah. apples because I was like because because I had access to a new town because I bought a permit that let, meant that I could ship my stuff to that town and I built, built uh, I got another permit that meant I could build in another town and then I bought another town's factory that was trying to supply itself with its own texture material so I just gave them loads of money just bought their uh, their factory so I could be the main provider it's about creating essentially a monopoly and trying to be at the top of it so, so how does this not feel like a job and not feel... Because it sounds to me like it's simulating as much as possible yep. what it's like to run a business. So yeah. to me, I don't know where the enjoyment is yeah. in terms of when I come home and I want to play yeah. a game having been at work all day, the last thing I want to do is simulate the experience of working and earning money and you know trying to survive yeah yeah like i'm playing spider-man at the moment and like spoilers like he gets kicked out of his apartment i don't want to have to kind of like worry about you know sitting queuing in the bank to apply for a loan or anything like that (laughs) right absolutely but but you know so okay i agree and but there's a funny thing there's this funny thing and and i can't i can't quite figure out how it happens but there are some games that just cater it's basically like having a certain job, and it caters to a specific people that want to experience what that might be like, right? So Farming Simulator 2019 sold something like a million copies in a day, right? And, like, this one's doing... This Rise of Industry is doing really, really well as well. And clearly, it's eating into this thing of... There's clearly a subset of people who are saying, 
I'd really like to figure out logistics. I wish I worked in that kind of a job. That'd be really fun. It's a really fun puzzle. And it clearly attracts themselves to those people. I've got to say, like, I've really, really, I, I have really enjoyed playing it, loving it, uh, uh, love playing it, but I deleted it because I got, oh, like, no. because I got into yeah. it and then I was mm-hmm. like, I'm enjoying this, but this does feel like basically my day job as a producer. Because I was <laughs> I was like figuring out where everything was going and, oh, stuff's late and I need to sort this out over here and I need to really figure out, have you got the right resources? Have you got the right tools? Where's the budget coming from? All of this sort of stuff. I absolutely, you know, I was looking at it going, this is, this is fantastic. And I absolutely have to got to delete this right now because I just feel like I'm still at work. But yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and... If, if I guess if figuring out efficient pipelines, <laughs> yeah, how do you sell this? Right, one? yeah, that's the thing. How do you sell it? And like, clearly, you know, they have so because so, it's clearly done well for them. But like, yeah, I mean, like, if if you're like, oh man, that sounds like my jam. It is. Can we not spoil this one massively? Is that all right? I can't spoil it for you anyway. I haven't even watched the whole series. I'm about halfway through. Or even even a couple of episodes because Alex and I, Alex and I, have got this on the Netflix wish list, as in watch list. Yeah. Have I you guess. not? Have you not read the comics? No. It's it's by it's by some band member, isn't it? Gerard Way, who was uh, <laughs> yeah, My Go Chemical on. Romance. That's correct. Yep. Or, or MCR. And also, it's also by the artist. Because comics are never just by the writer. Who's the artist? And you know the artist? Gabriel Barr. Is it Barr, Sam? Is it what, yeah, what, Barr. What, yeah. what band's he in? The Band of Brothers, because he usually draws with his brother, Fabio Moon. Who I adore. Um, one of the best graphic novels I have ever read is one that Sam lent me, Day Trippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is just uh, one of the very few graphic novels in my life that has just still stayed with me to this day. Just yeah. an exquisite piece of work. So- it really, really is. So, so this, this, these, these emo emo punk rocker people. So he's done. He's done. So is the graphic no? Is it a graphic novel or is it a series? The Umbrella Academy. It was a series that you can get a graphic novel. Version right. Okay. Compilation. Yeah. And now, yeah. and, it, so, and it's and it's still and it's still um, it's still going. Oh right. The okay, newest cool. the newest Umbrella Academy has just started. Uh, it's run with Dark Horse Comics. It's called Hotel Oblivion. It's like a seven issue, and we're already up to issue four. Is this? At the have I just? This has completely gone over my head. Is this like a big deal? Yeah, it's been around for a few years. Okay, because I mean, clearly, it's clearly it's a big deal because it's got a TV series. So there's um, so there's two graphic novels uh, that collect uh, the editions that have been out so far. Uh, one's called the Apocalypse Suite. Uh, which is back in 2008, I want to say. Eight. Um, and the other one is the Umbrella Academy of Dallas, which was, let me have a look, which is 2009. So okay. it's been about 10 years since the original uh, comics were released. And the, the TV series borrows bits from both yeah. the uh, comics. So there's characters that are only in Dallas, which is the second one, which appear in the TV series. But the TV series mainly focuses on the Apocalypse Suite. That's kind yeah. of the 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 crux of the story is is that um, one day in August, uh, forty three children were born um, by women 
who had no signs of uh, pregnancy before that. Basically, the children just um, uh, popped out. Yep. And this character, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, uh, and this is one of my main criticisms with the TV series, which I'll get onto uh, later probably. Um, basically, adopts seven of them. And in the comics, he's asked why he does this. And he just says, to save the world, of course. And basically, these seven children um, turn make the Umbrella Academy. And Sir Reginald Hargreaves later on passes away. And that's basically when the TV series and the comic starts, is when this dis- dis- disbanded group of seven individuals who have since gone their own ways because of stuff that happened in the Umbrella Academy have to come together because the passing of their adoptive father and stuff happens which yeah. I can't spoil no because it's, it's so no. this, this TV series which is I guess putting it into a new audience is quite new it, I mean, if you just by looking at it, you can see how distinctively different it is from the art style of the graphic novel. When I heard that this series was um, coming out, I instantly thought of the art style of the graphic novel, this, this very grotesque blacks and whites. It's almost like the, we were talking about gloom with Dan in the last episode, mm. actually. Mm. So I was expecting something kind of grotesque and, and Tim Burton-esque. Right. Um, this, isn't, this isn't that grotesque. It's odd. It's weird. But it's it's not a grotesque looking series at all. I'm not to say that the, the art style is grotesque originally, but um, it, it's very different from the high contrasts of the shades that you get in the, the graphic novel series. Mm. Um, in fact, actually, in lots of the publicity, it's, it's a lot more colour. Colours are very saturated in it, more so than the actual TV series itself. Um, so just that itself, it seems a lot different in that regard. And it's a tone that I actually do quite like, actually. Um, of the TV series in terms of its look and its feel. I know some people have criticised it for its pacing, um, but just to unpack briefly what Sam has just said, so these seven children that are raised in the Umbrella Academy, they each possess different qualities. Some um, have like um, powers, say, for example, and um, as this father figure, this eccentric millionaire, um, he gives them all numbers, um, one to seven, and he refers them to them by these numbers. Hmm. Um, later on, they take on names, but ostensibly he just gives them numbers, and that's how he refers to them as. And uh, as Sam said, um, they're raised in this house as a kind of crime-fighting team, and you get these kind of flashbacks to what life was like as children. What I love about the series in particular so far that's really gripping me is this sense of a mystery. And I've, I've, I've encountered lots of series like this where the first season is solving mysteries, and then after that, it's never as good because right. you know all it, you you know all you need to know about these characters, how they got to this position, why so and so is um, thinks this way about other people, and uh, that's it. Um, so I'm wondering whether actually I'm going to be interested in the second season of this because at the moment I'm really really enjoying it. Um, I'm actually de- um, I'm actually binging it. I haven't binged anything in ages. I like to kind of have my <laughs> entertainment meted out, but I am actually binging this. I, th- I think. The criticism of his pacing will, I, I think, in most cases, will be, will be a reflection on the comic that it's drawn from because they put a lot of background in and, and manufacture a lot of mystery where in the graphic novel it just doesn't exist and the graphic novel just goes bam, 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 yeah. end. 
so I've I've struggled. I've struggled with the with the TV series, and it probably comes from a place where the graphic novelist has has had such an impact, and and I read the graphic novel in a certain way. For example, the father figure figure, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, in the graphic novel, he is his reasons for adopting the kids the reason why he does it is a lot is is something that's left up to the reader to interpret however in the tv series he's immediately made out to be this benevolent and awful like very sort of scientific man like he goes and he physically buys the children for however much it costs from the mothers who have who have borne them that in the comic books is a lot more greyer and murkier like the the original intentions of their father and how he brought up these children like that for me is a legitimate interesting mystery and a character profile that could have really helped build the characters a lot more because if you're unsure about the moral and ethical intentions of this father figure who brought them all together then how the different um adoptive children respond to that is a lot more interesting but because you know in the tv series that he was a bastard and he was always cold when one character actually looks lovingly on the father and another one doesn't there's no murkiness there yeah. you side with the person who doesn't because you know that he was cold and he was calculated yeah, yeah, yeah. and we haven't even talked about the acting in this i really really I mean, the cast is fantastic you've got ellen page is number seven who um who I adore, um, and Tom Hopper, who the last time I saw Tom Hopper in, I think, was season five, Doctor Who. It was Matt Smith's very first episode. Yeah, the, the, the cast is very, very interesting. I really like the different chemistries you get with them. It's that classic TV thing of having to pull them apart so you can get those scenes where you have those two people in a scene, say, for example, and it allows you then to try the different combinations of ensuing episodes and then what will happen is that you'll kind of imagine where it's going is they'll all group together at the end, as it were. Because as Sam says, it's building towards this prevention of this apocalypse. But yeah, I, I, I think it's worth checking out. I think that, like, even though there is maybe some issues with pacing, I've just, I've just dissolved these these episodes. Have just, I've just burst through them far quicker than any of the current um, iterations of the Netflix Marvel series, which are, I found such a slog. Iron Fist mm. has taken me months to get through. It's such <laughs> a slog, it really is. Even though it's better than season one, it's awful. So yeah, I, I think it, it's, it is worth a look and I'm genuinely curious to see how it goes, Pete. I think, yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. I think you really would enjoy it. But I'm, I really do want to read this graphic novel series. I really, really do. Mm -hmm. And it was just for me, shamelessly, it was a choice between forking out 14, 15 quid on a graphic novel or watching it streamed on Netflix. Which is really sad, really. But, you know, Gerard Way has had a hand in the development of the series. Question. Question. Questions. 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 Question. Yeah, we've got we've got one question here. Mm -hmm. Who left blank by my car? Cheese. Mm, I was, interesting. I was gonna say cheese. Yeah. Is it cheese? Is it cheese? It's Tiny Farm. Who left Tiny Farm by my car? Well, like an ant farm. That, Chris, was from... Um, that headline actually was from the Worcester News. Mm -hmm. Ah, mild stomping ground. 
Yeah, I thought you might like that. And uh, this one is Grandad Returns from Blank by Blank. From Dorset on Sea by <laughs> Helicopter. Um, I'm going to say um, Upstairs by Stairs. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been brilliant. No, this is from the Kent and Sussex Courier. Oh, my old stomping ground. Pete's old stomping ground. Oh. And it's and it's Grandad returns from Cornwall by bus. Yeah, that seems about right. It's about the most exciting stuff. Um, oh my god! I've got I've got a better question. Uh, it's on. from Alex Holmes, uh, who hello Alex, oh. who is one of our listener pals. Um, so they have a question, and I think this is a really interesting one. And I have opinions. Hmm. Do you think the video game industry asks Alex? Uh, do you think it will ever? completely merge with the board game industry. With the advancements in augmented reality and more and more app-driven games, do you think they will ever become one? I have a solid opinion on this, but I would really okay. be interested to know from you two guys. Mm. Hasn't it already happened? Oh. It is starting to happen with games such as uh, Criminal. Is it Criminal? On yeah. Detective. Uh, where, where Criminal has the augmented reality um, aspect where you actually in- there's QR codes and you've got an app and you scan <laughs> and you can actually interview suspects with this app and what I quite like about it is that a lot of them have a timer on them so unless you speak to this person now they may I don't know change their story or not be available to speak to so there is actually a kind of a real time element that's cool baked into that app as well um, I came across one board game where you've got the board in front of you and you have to create that there's basically these series of corridors and you actually have to put on an augmented reality headset and you only have a certain amount of time to actually explore these corridors, describe what you see and then try and replicate that on the board hmm. on a kind of a time-based thing. Uh, I think Detective is where it actually asks you to use Google or the internet to research things and that folds into the actual gameplay. Um, I'm trying to think of any others. Oh, there's the, um, there's the Escape Room games where um you you use an app to check whether you've got the clues right you do uh, yeah um and there's also not the technological side you've got board game versions of video games like XCOM the board game say for example but there's also examples like in uh like Burger Brothers there's an app that will like help you set up thing same with cryptid oh, such a good app um fantasy flight do a lot of this like i know that they have I don't know if this is true for Descent as well, but for Star Wars Imperial Assault, you can get an app which essentially plays the role of um, like the dungeon master. It can play the yeah. role of, of the there enemy. Is, there is for Descent, so, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like in terms of that integration of like video games being integrated into board games, I feel like that's the... For me, that's the sweet spot. The really interesting point in this in this question is like, do you think they'll ever become one? And like, the answer is like, I don't think they'll ever be the same things entirely. Like, I think you're always going to have board game developers and then video game developers. I think you're always going to have board games and video games. But yeah, like as you guys were saying, there's a huge amount of crossover stuff, and it does go both ways, right? I think the most interesting thing is where you see video game developers using digital games to like prototype up their games or to yeah. to serve something extra to a um to a different audience in a different space so for example the people at paradox who I really, really like they're working on mm-hmm. um you know they're working on licensing out their 
IP like Europa Universalis and Crusader Kings being the most uh, recent one uh, for a board game and it's like I'd love to play a Crusader Kings board game that sounds great but uh, and way back in the day they took Europa Universalis which was a very complicated you know 50 60 hour long board game and turned that into a video game and that's that's interesting that that crossover um but it doesn't often go the way from board game to video game as such a huge you know huge successful money spinner kind of a thing um so i don't know i got to say all of these ad- all of these like extras that you get right like these these little helpers and stuff like that I like werewolves. I like One Night Ultimate Werewolf, but yeah. but very few of them gra- grab me in any other way. Very few of them make me go, "Oh yeah, oh I'd love, I'd love to have a, you know, I'd love to have an iPad telling me what to do next." Oh, um, Chronicles of Crime. Know. Sorry, was the game I meant, uh, not Criminal. Chronicles of Crime okay. is the game where you use the QR codes to interview people. That's supposed to be very very good and probably one of the but best implementations. I, lo- I like of it. all of these crossovers i think it's going doing interesting things and it's doing stuff digital stuff is doing stuff that physical stuff can't do and i like that yeah but i the thing i like the most is when it's better for a computer to do it you get a computer to do it when it's better (laughs) when it's better for a person to do it you get a person to do it and that's that yeah like one night you don't need a human being there going everybody open your eyes like you could just have a, a recording. But I think, like, I, the one thing I don't think I could ever see Envisage It working would be to have this merging in terms of a travel game scenario. Like, it's one thing, one of the reasons why I like kind of, you know, travel games, board games, taking them away with me is that I know that I haven't got to charge this thing at all. Mm. That I, I can just, well, my phone's charging elsewhere, or I've got it on battery saver mode because I don't want to use it because I'm worried yeah. it's going to run out of power. I can just play cards. I've got something as an ent- entertainment. And what I haven't got then is half of something. Yeah. There's also part of it is what is actually what is the video game version of this board game actually bringing, other than streamlining how the scoring works. So, for example, yeah. we've all played Ganshon Clever, the app, and maybe Doppelt so yeah. clever as well. I, I'm, I play it daily. So and I'm cleaning my teeth. So um, those are those are really good in terms of video game apps because they do a lot of they. They sort out all the counting and the rules of where you can put dice and all that kind of stuff is all yeah. is all done for yeah. you. So it takes a bit of that mental headspace away from you so you can concentrate on improving what you're actually doing. For me, nothing will ever replace the, the physical bit of it. But I think that's a good use of an app, you know, taking something from a board game and, and, and you know, using that application to help um, you experience another side of mm-hmm. it. To compare that with something like Carcassonne, which recently came on the Switch, and even though I'm interested in getting the Switch, one of the criticisms of it is that it has this wonderful like 3D isometric viewpoint, and most of the reviews say it's pointless. Yeah. You can't see the board. The irritating thing is that actually, Sam, Carcassonne, the, the- the video game was really good. Like on, I had it on my tablet. It was two dimensional, and it was lovely. You were top yeah. down, and then they got rid of that. They pulled that yeah. from the store and they replaced it with this horrible yeah, looking three yeah, yeah. D isometric. It's, thing. it's really, it's it's really weird. I think I think as as for me in terms of where they merge and where they meet, I think there's already as we discussed where the app or the game facilitates 
a, a, a certain game playing style. So in the terms of Descent and Imperial yeah. Assault, they replicate the um, the the dungeon master. They take they take some onus of the players so they can all all enjoy an experience together. Yeah. The, the second way is where where a video game increases the replayability of it. So in terms of Cryptid and Burgle Brothers that app is providing in both instances like excellent replayability mm-hmm. values and the third one is that as as we mentioned in the terms of Ganshan Clever is as an educational tool like taking away some of the effort in preparing or thinking about a game in order for you to learn that game and a bit more of its mechanics in a in another way and i can't yeah. see how they can merge any more beyond those sort of three three ways maybe ar augmented reality or because as soon as you start stepping into like vr i just can't see that no 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 one's no one's buying a vr headset to play Catan, are they so that was a good question wasn't it that was a very good question good thank well, you it's a very good question uh, uh, can i check is that is that is that listener running or this? Ooh, the one yeah, that's asking? our question to you alex do you want to? Are you running? Are you, are you, are you running? putting in your miles? Or walking. Walking is well, maybe okay. not. Hang on, not running. Cycling just is fine. Apparently, it, it doesn't. It, it, it generates exactly the same amount yeah. of money. Really, yeah. just, just the distance. Yeah. So just yeah, come along and do it. That was a good question. That was staying in with Peter Willington, Chris Darby, and Sam Turner. We need your questions for the next episode, so please send them in to stayinginpod at gmail.com. You can notify us on Twitter at StayingInPod. And really, we're Staying In Pod everywhere. Um, Facebook and Board Game Geek. And where else are we? Oh, we've also got a curation page on Steam, so you can find us there. Also, you may have heard us mention Charity Miles quite a few times, and we'd love you to get involved. So just download the app, choose the charity you want to raise money for, then join our team simply by searching hashtag StayingInPod. Then all the miles you walk, run or cycle will help us towards our goal of raising $1,000 for charity by the end of the year. And we really appreciate everyone who's helped us in that so far this year. But for now, that's it from us. Until next time, goodbye.